hand-me-down heritage, lessons learned in time, reflections of our past, something new to find, identities and legacies recast, futures redefined, heavy burdens carried by generations before, fragile places remaining once more, weaknesses duplicated at our core. Past and present expression, experiences leaving an impression, gifts of blessing or transgression, strengths of the kingdom, bringing us newfound freedom, body, mind, spirit, and soul. We are all parts of a whole. Good afternoon, Woodland Hills folks. How y'all doing this afternoon? Some of you are already noticing there's something different about the optics up here. Uh, I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, so last week, Sandra did a powerful and brilliant uh, job of just telling her story. And, and in telling her story and how God has healed her and is still in the process of healing her, uh, that's a powerful way to teach because aspects of her story uh, will intersect with some aspects of some of your stories. And that opens up new, new avenues for healing. Uh, it was just a, a powerful thing. I didn't plan on this, but uh, I think I'm supposed to do something very similar. It's called autobiographical teaching. Just kind of tell an aspect of your story and how God has, is in the process of healing you from it. And see, God, the relational God, uses relationships and uses our telling each other's story to heal each other. It's the body ministering to the body. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, share something along those lines. Um, but here's the thing. Have you ever heard this term, thin place? Thin place, where you're... It, it refers to any kind of time or any kind of location where the gap between the spiritual realm and the normal physical realm, it gets thin. And the spiritual realm kind of bleeds over into the natural realm. And when you go through, at least when I go through some of these thin places, um, I mean, it, it, you just see things clearer than you did before. You maybe make connections you didn't connect before. You find out things about yourself. Sometimes you find out things about God. Sometimes you discover memories. Sometimes you uncover old wounds. It, it can be a very disorienting time. It can be a very painful time. It can also be a real joyous time. Uh, in the pattern of my life, uh, I've gone through five, six, seven, if you count this one, that was more minor, but um, it's about every five years, every five to ten years, but it's random. It's random. Like, I, I, I once had two back-to-back -back years where this happened, and then I went 14 years where nothing happened, but then I get whammied out of nowhere, and each time it's like God unveils another layer of something and just wants to bring more healing into my life. I, I hope you go through times like that. And I'm right now in one of those places. It's interesting, my wife and I both are in one of those places, and I don't think we've ever been in sync on that one before. But um, I, th I think it, was, it started with the first message I gave here a couple weeks ago, uh, where I told some of my story, and that seems to kind of uncork something. And um, I've been kind of feeling this thin place ever since. 
I always have shared kind of what happens as a result of these thin place experiences after I'm done with them. Um, what's unique about this is that I, I've never ever shared this publicly while I'm in the middle of it. But I know I'm supposed to do that. I, I don't want to, honestly. It feels very vulnerable. Um, I feel much less in control than I like to be when I'm preaching on stage. Uh, you know, it, you don't know how this is going. I have no idea if this is going to be emotional or it feels like I've already emoted everything, but I don't know. It's very unpredictable. And so I'm just kind of, I, I just, it really is, I've had a commitment to you to be honest about reality, what's in my life, and that this is me being honest in the process, going through the process of this. Um, and here's the thing, most of, if you've been here for any length of time, most of what I'm going to be covering, you know parts of it anyways. Some of you have heard it several times. A lot of it I gave just a couple weeks ago. But the word I have given, what I sense is I'm supposed to invite you, invite you in deeper in that. Same events, but there's another layer that's been revealed to me, and I'm supposed to invite you in an inch deeper into my inner world, my inner sanctum, that imagination, an inch further than, than I ever have before. I'm not going to let you all the way in, all right? I, I really think each of us needs to have a special place with God that's just a, a me and Jesus space. And because and, your relationship with, with God is really one of a kind. There's not a generic relationship with God. And, and, and so the way God relates to you and the places God will take you if you'll surrender your, your spirit, your, surrender to the spirit, surrender your imagination over. And, uh, you don't need to tell anyone about that. That's, that's you and Jesus. And see, that's what makes, that's what makes it it's so special. It's, this is just us. And so I, some of the stuff that goes on in my inner sanctum is just for, for me and her. That's a drop a little seed there. So here's the thing, folks. All of us have got positive and negative stuff that we inherit from our, our biological family and from our church family. We get all of the good stuff from our spiritual family, being in Christ and all of that. But we get some negative stuff from our church family and biological families that hinder our ability to really walk out our full identity as we are in Christ. And so that's what we're addressing in this series. Is how, how, how do we address these things? How do we flesh them out, become aware of them, and bring healing into them? Um, so we all have positive and negative. And I want you to know, I, I have a lot of positives. I, there's a, I have a lot of great memories. There was laughter in my family, and I inherited good experiences and wonderful stuff. And even with my stepmother, who I'll be talking about again tonight, uh, there, there, I, I cannot, in fact, I'm beginning to remember more positive things about her. It was just all pretty much negative until, but now I'm re remembering she used to uh, do costumes for us on Halloween, and that was, she made the coolest costumes. I forgot about that. And, and so, uh, don't think that, that, that this is, is all negative. But tonight I'm going to talk about two of the, I think most negative things I experienced uh, at, at a very young age. Um, so here, here's, here's the last picture of my biological family that was ever taken. Uh, that's, that's my mom. This is right around Christmas time, and she died the day before Valentine's Day. So uh, this is about two months before she died. And that's my, my sister, Anita. She was only six months at the time. And that's Debbie, my older sister. She was 10, and that's my brother, Chris. He would have been four or five, and that's, no, he would have been four, and that's me, and I'm two, two and a half. That's my dad. He was 40 years old at that time. 
Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember anything about my mom or, or Lyle. I don't have any memories, but sometimes when I just look at her for a while, I, there's a warm feeling I get. Uh, but but no, no actual memories. This, her death had a profound impact on me. They, they told me that I, uh, for months and months, would not stop asking, where's mommy? Where's mommy? And I, would, I, I just could not accept that she's not coming back. I couldn't get my, my mind around the finality of that. I think that's one of the reasons why I had, from as early age as I can remember, an obsession with death. Uh, it, 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 was, it was such an impact. But as a result of that, I, I, I grew, I got at a very young age this yearning for a mother's love. Yearning for a mother's love. It was always, always there. In fact, the two things I think I inherited most from at this early age that I, I want to be talking about is, the one is a, a, a conviction that I live in a uh, cruel and capricious world and I'm on my own. And then I live with a yearning for a mother's love. So here, here's the picture of my family, my blended family. About a year after my mom died, uh, my dad married Stella. And uh, this is our blended family, just like the Brady Bunch. I'm way down in the corner there on the left. No, no, I'm up by my dad again. Um, but we were not any Brady Bunch. As I shared a couple weeks ago, uh, it, was, it, was, it was war. What's interesting about this picture, I think, at least to me, is that my sister, who's kind of the curator of family photos, she tells me that uh, um, this is the only picture we have of our whole family, of our whole blended family, which already tells you something. It's also the only picture in which Stella is smiling during the duration of the time that she was married to my father. Uh, I went to her funeral 10, 12 years ago, and, and all the photos before she married my father, she was smiling at times. And then afterwards, you see her smiling. But during, during her time with my dad, this, with this one exception, she has a, more of a scowl on her face. She, she, she was in a miserable marriage and, and was, was miserable. It's crazy. They both went through the Great Depression, and they both suffered significantly under the Great Depression, but they came out with absolutely opposite attitudes. My dad, he had this inner conviction that money could disappear tomorrow, so better spend it now. And she was of the persuasion that money might disappear tomorrow, so we better hoard now. And they just, and that was just one of the things that they, they were, they were continually fighting over. But we never bonded. I never bonded with her. Uh, she never bonded with any of his kids, and he never bonded with any of her kids, and no one ever bonded with, with much of anything. And I, I grew up with the distinct impression that, that mom just doesn't like me. In fact, there's times where I thought she absolutely hates me, and I didn't know why. And then when she would get angry, she would snap and come up with uh, morbid, twisted forms of, of, of punishment. And so as I shared a couple weeks ago, um, a real turning point for me came when I was six years old. I was in my backyard. I had just taken a beating from mom, and I didn't know what it was for. I usually didn't. And so as I often did, I thought, I'm going to run away from home, and I'm heading out the door. And as I'm heading out the door, I notice that there's a box of matches on the counter. And so I grab them without even thinking about it. And the reason I grabbed them is because I wasn't supposed to. So this is like an act of defiance. And I go into the backyard, and there's a, there's a creek back there. And I was crying convulsingly at first, trying to catch my breath. And then when I finally caught my breath, 
I, I would take this match and I said to myself, I have to face this reality that mom doesn't like me. And if mom's not going to like me, I'm not going to like her. And she'll never, ever hurt me again. And I would light the, the match and throw it into the, 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 the creek and just kept on saying that over and over again. She'll never hurt me again. And, and the remarkable thing is that that worked. It worked brilliantly. You just cut the cord that feels. It's emotional suicide. And it works. You can become numb. And whatever she would do from that point on, I would never cry. It didn't make any difference in the world. You still felt the pain, but it somehow didn't mean anything. But I wasn't going to give her the satisfaction of thinking that she's actually making me feel any pain so she could bring a board or a belt or soap or tell me to eat dog poop or lick crate off a wall or we throw it out in the cold, like naked and wet. But I wouldn't cry. It worked. I, I, I'm just amazed at how well that worked. Uh, one time when I was in my early 40s, my dad and I, I was visiting him and we started talking about childhood stuff, whatever, and and uh, at one point, he brought up this memory. He said, during the time, I, he was driving. He, it was a Sunday afternoon, and he was leaving to go on a trip. Uh, he would travel for a week or two at a time. So he was heading out of town for a long while. I remember always feeling afraid when he left. I think he got to Hudson. We lived in Cottage Grove, and he got to Hudson. And all of a sudden, he said something. His gut said, you've got to turn around and go back home. And my dad's, at this point, not... A Christian listening to the Holy Spirit. He's an atheist, but he gets this inexplicable thing that, that was strong enough to convince him to turn around and come back. And when he came back, uh, he found Shelly beating me in the garage with a two-by-four. And I was beaten up pretty bad. He, he, he said that almost ended the marriage, uh, that he caught her in this. And I remember my first thought was, Oh no, now he knows, and there's going to be even more hell to pay because that's what she always told us. If he ever found out, there'd be hell to pay. And so I was afraid of him discovering this. I had bruises over parts of my body, and I had a big welt on my head because one of her swacks hit my head. And my dad said, I was so surprised when I came in, like I was cowered in the corner like this, but he said, You weren't crying, and, and you're bloody, and but you were crying. In fact, you seemed really calm. What, what, what blows me away, what amazes me is, as soon as he mentioned this story to me in my early 40s, as soon as he mentioned it, I re remembered it like it was yesterday. But I don't remember ever remembering that between the time it happened until my early 40s. I never thought about it. I never talked about it. I, it, I didn't miss a beat. I for, for, totally forgot about that. How do you forget a beating like that? And the answer is by putting up a tremendous wall of protection, by, by, by burying it in a sea of forgetfulness. When you cut the cord, you cut the memories that's attached to the cord, and so they just kind of float out there. You cut it to survive. Because when you're seven years old, you just can, can't, or six years old, you just can't handle the stuff that's, 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 that's coming at you. It just... You cut to survive. It, it hurts too much to feel. But then it makes me wonder, my dad turned around and caught, me, caught her that time, but how many times didn't he get that feeling that similar things like that happened, and how many other things like that 
do I just not remember? And I have a sense it's a lot. I've got like eight or nine examples, but so I'm in this thin place and I'm seeing some things that I never saw before. And here's the one of the ways, one of the inches I'm supposed to invite people in on. And the Lord said that I'm supposed to do this for my sake. <laughs> uh, I hope you get something out of it, but I'm, I'm, this is public therapy right here. I just, you know, but what I saw is that the, I don't know why I never saw this before, but the worst aspect of, of, of what I got, the worst aspect of it was that I usually had no idea why. And I usually never saw it coming. I'd never noticed this before. Um, you know, so when I was in my early 40s, I got this diagnosis of having ADHD. Ta-da, gotcha. Of having ADHD, and I notice everything, and everything distracts me, and I have trouble staying on point. If so, I don't. <laughs> Look at that light, it's a little dimmer. Okay. So my, my, I got this diagnosis of ADHD, and so I start reading up a little bit on, on, on what it is to have ADHD, and, and it, it the process of doing that was killing me softly with his song. I mean, it was just the story of my life. If you ever had experience with something all of a sudden, like, makes sense of everything. And one of the things that I read there was that, that children with ADHD, which, which, of course, they didn't know back in my day, but they, they, they tend to act impulsively, which means they, they discover that they're doing something, a misbehavior. They're, they act before it registers in their brain. And if they're punished before there's any explanation, they don't have a clue why they're being punished. They don't connect the behavior to the punishment. And, and when I read that, I just started bawling because that is the story of my life. I almost never knew why I was being punished. And I never saw it coming. I would, they, they'd send me to Mother Superior's office on a regular basis. That was where you go when you've been really, really, really bad. She is the last... The, the stopping point. And this is a lady who's built like a Sherman tank and can swing that ugly stick like a pro baseball player. And she'd always ask the same stupid question, Mr. Boyd, why are you here? Because her belief was a confession is so necessary before there's uh, you know, repentance and punishment. And, and she said, why, why are you here? And I would say, I don't know. And she thought I was being sassy. And so she would double the number of hits I had to get. I would try, try, try to make up something, but I usually didn't know. I, was, I am being sent to the office. I, I did something. I, I felt guilty. I felt I did something wrong. But often was not at all sure what it was. And I, so it just happened. All of a sudden, I am being punished. And then as I shared a couple weeks ago, the, the, for two years straight in second, third grade class, they gave these goody-two-shoe girls this big family Bible, and they had unquestioned permission to hit me over the head uh, if I was ever acting out. And sometimes they hit really hard. The room would get foggy. I always saw stars, and I always had pain in my neck. Sometimes the room would come into view from the bottom up, which used my eyes roll behind my head. Um, but I never saw those coming. It's like whiplash. You don't have time to brace for it. It's just, you just get hit. And maybe I was misbehaving or did something, but I didn't connect it to why I just got hit. And sometimes they just did it because it was good for a laugh in the class. This week, I let myself get back into a six-year-old kid. Every day you're afraid because you go to school. Because you could get hit any time. I live in a cruel, cold, capricious world where pain can just jump on you for no reason. 
And to live in that, well, you're always aware it could happen now. It could happen now. And it was the same thing at home. I, I never, when I heard my mom's footsteps, I always tried to hide because it was never good news. And, and when I'd be punished for something, more often than not, I didn't have a clue why. And she assumed that I was supposed to have a clue why. But I came to the conclusion at a very young age that I live in a cold and cruel, capricious world. I don't know if any of that story intersects with your story, but the good news, whatever your story is and whatever the wounds are, is that there is healing available in Jesus Christ. There's healing. It's not magic. It's not instant. It's, it's, it's a process. Boy, do I know how it's a process. You're peeling the onion, and you'll go over the same stuff sometimes a couple times because there's layers. The wounds are, are sometimes multi-layered, and while you can address the meaning of the wound here, it's got a deeper meaning. That's what's going on in my life right now. But it can look like this. If we just get into our inner sanctum, that inner sanctuary, which is our imagination, it's a sacred, thin place where we can encounter the things of God. And if you just surrender that to the Holy Spirit and ask him to bring up whatever memories you need to have healing from, he's a genius and beautiful at, 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 at bringing about this beautiful process of transforming you, of getting free. So this week I was in this time of imagination. It was on Thursday morning. And um, I, I all suddenly saw myself as that six-year-old. I'm the adult me, and I'm in my backyard in Grand Legend. And there's that six-year-old Greggy, and he's mad, and he's lighting those matches. And so I go over to him, and he turns around and looks at me. And his eyes are, on the one hand, they're so full of anger, and so full of defiance, like he's unstoppable. But I can also see that he's very, very sad and very, very scared, which is why he's being so defiant. And I say to him, has mom been mean again? And he turns and he's lighting, he says, lights another match. She's always mean. She doesn't like me, so I'm not going to like her. And she's never, ever going to hurt again. I went over to him and I grabbed his shoulders. And I just said, you're a, very, you're a smart kid. That was the smart thing to do. You didn't have any other options. You got through by doing that. You're a smart kid. There's going to come a time where you're going to need to turn, reconnect that cord. There's going to come a time where you have to take that fortress down. And that's not going to be an easy process for you, but it's what you needed to do. And he looked kind of proud of himself when I said that. And then I told him, you're going to find people who you love and who love you and who you can trust. And you're going to find out that it's okay to let some people in on the inside. And sometimes people will hurt you. They'll hurt you bad, but you're going to grow to the point where you'd rather feel the pain of love when it backfires than to not feel love at all. And you're going to find out that you're strong enough to survive it. And I said, the world can be a cruel and capricious place. Little Greggy, you figured that out really quick. But I want to tell you, it's not like it is right now with your mom, and it's not like it is right now with, with the church and with the school. It gets better. It gets better. Don't judge the whole world on the basis of the world that you're in right now. 
And I said, when you get older, you're going to meet a man named Jesus, and he's going to love you so perfectly, and he's going to make you feel so safe that you're not going to need that fortress anymore. You're not going to need those matches anymore. You're not going to need that cut feeling cord anymore. You're going to find that it's safe to feel the good and the bad, the happy and the sad. It's good to feel because that's what life is. It's good to feel because that's what it is to be human. It's, what, it's good to feel because you're made in the image of God and God feels. And you're going to grow into that wholeness. And then as I was talking to him about Jesus, Jesus shows up, just kind of comes onto the scene. But Jesus is this radiantly beautiful young mother. And she walks into the scene and little Greggy looks up and sees her eyes, and he screams with a smile on his face, Mommy! <laughs> and he runs into her arms, and she picks him up. And there's just such love there, and just such beauty there. And then I, want, and I go over there, and I, I, I put my arms around him, so we're having this kind of love fest. And then at one point, Jesus leans back, as this radiant mother and looks little Greggy in the eyes and says, do you have anything that you'd like to give your older self? And little Greggy wasn't sure. He kind of pondered that for a while. And finally, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out those matches. He gives them to me. He says, I guess I won't be needing these anymore. That's just the beauty of how God can bring healing into our life. And, and what I've learned from experiences, that's just another layer. But... He can, he can free us. He can heal us. All the lies we believe are embedded in our memories. And then they get activated under the right circumstances. And, and we don't even know that we're, we're, that's the memory we're thinking about, but we feel it. We feel the fear or we feel the anger or whatever gets activated. So whenever I, I, I was threatened to be hurt or that someone emo, emotionally or was going to reject me, I had that little kid who would just pop out there. And pfft, done. Done. You don't like me. I don't like you. You're never going to hurt me. They have fortress of invincible invincible to pain but we can invite Jesus back to these memories and uh and feel again and be healed I invite you to ask the spirit to explore where the lie is located and invite Jesus into that so I I believe I live in this capricious world uh part of what living in a scary world did is it made me have a very very vivid imagination where I lived all the time and that was my my like my safe place which is, I now find, the right safe place. It's supposed to be a safe place. It's where we encounter God and the things of God. Um, but I, in this scary place, I yet yearned for a mother's love. It was the one ache I couldn't get rid of. I thought I got rid of it a couple times, but it would keep popping back up. Like, I was at my, a friend's house. Uh, we are in the basement. I, I must have been in, like five or six years old because this is in Grand Legend. We moved from there when I was six. So we're down in the basement playing something, and all of a sudden I hear his mom's footsteps coming down the door, or coming down the stairs. And I get nervous, and I want to hide. It's like, uh-oh, fun's being interrupted. But I look at my friend, and, and he, he, he's not afraid. In fact, he starts smiling. Mom's coming. And I think that was the first time I really had got the suspicion that maybe there's something wrong with my family. Because I, I, you're happy about a mother coming down. He was like excited she was coming down. And she comes down and, and, and she brought us these snacks. And I, just, I remember just staring at her. 
because her eyes were so loving and tender and kind and she was gentle with him, touched him softly and kissed his forehead. And I just stared and then I was overcome with this jealousy. I just like, I wanted to move in here. Would you be my mom? I yearn for a mother's love. And I've told you before about what God did with the Virgin Mary. You know, I had to go to Catholic Church every morning and, and, and all the pictures of God and of the saints and they all were distant at best and, and, and some of them were outright scary. And I didn't think I had a chance with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're angry at me. Why wouldn't they be? Every other authority is angry with me. I'm try, I try to be good. I really tried to be good, but I just am not good at being good. And, and I, so I thought, they're going to send me to hell. And I had just learned about hell in second grade. And I had nightmares of hell all the time. But Mary had this beautiful face, radiant face, looking down at the baby Jesus. It was just radiant. And I would sometimes throughout the whole Mass just be staring at her. And, and, and uh, I thought, that she's my ticket. Because the nuns always said, you know, if you talk to the mother, the mother has influence over the son. And I don't know how the rest of the theology works, but I got that part. And so I only prayed to Mary. She's the only one I would talk to. And I would say, Mary, I know that I screw up a lot. I try not to, but I do. But I don't want to go to hell. Please don't let them send me to hell. Don't let them send me to hell. Will you just tell them I'm doing the best that I can? Which shows you what a jaded view of God. Mary, save me from God is what I was praying. Ah. And there were times, I don't remember them being common, but I remember a few times where in praying to Mary, talking to Mary, it wasn't just as earnest like, please save me. There was times where it would sink into I don't know, I don't know, I would feel, I would feel warm. I would sometimes for a moment feel like I was in a safe place. It wasn't a cold and cruel world. And for a moment I would feel like I wasn't alone. And, and, and so Mary got me through some very tough years. Now, I, I don't, as an adult, I don't believe it's biblical to pray to Mary, all right? I, I don't, just, and, or to any dead person other than Jesus, because he's not dead. But see, we serve a God who will do anything and go to any extreme, go to any lengths, pay any price to connect with anyone. A God who just is, is the love is the only ultimately important thing. And so if, if, if you think that God is, is above using a statue of Mary to, to communicate something of his motherly love to this little kid who desperately needs it. Well, I, I'm here to tell you that you're mistaken. God, of course, would do that. That's exactly what God was doing. And I, I, I just got in touch with a, with a slice of God's motherly love there, and it, it helped me to, 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 to survive. Mary went away at the age of 12 because everyone went away at the age of 12. Our family blew apart and we stopped going to church and I stopped believing in God. And so there's no Mary. But I get saved when I'm 17. And about two and a half, three years later, Mary, well, Jesus shows up. But shows up as, as my mother, as a mother, demonstrating God's motherly love. Uh, and I can't tell you all the circumstances that were involved in that, but it had something to do with me forgiving my stepmother. And, and, but all of a sudden, I, I, was, I was embraced by, by my heavenly mother. I, I was like Jesus in the arms of Mary. I, I, I felt the, the tenderness of a mother, the kindness of a mother, the acceptance of a mother, the warm embrace of a mother, the strength of a mother. Something about my soul that just desperately needed that and still needs that.
And I just drink it in, just drink it in. I didn't tell a soul about this. I'm in a Pentecostal church at this point, you guys. No one's doing, yeah, listen, vision, God is mother. That would have been just, the truth is I haven't talked about it much ever since. I, I, I've shared some things about the motherhood of God, little snippets. But here's the other place where I'm supposed to let you in on another inch. That, that God's motherly love has been the single most powerful healing force in my life. Uh, it, God's mother love ever since that has always been played a central role in my relationship with God and in my walk with God. And it often occurred to me that my walk with God would be very diminished if, if, if I didn't relate to God sometimes as, as mother, as female. And, and, and my passion for God would be diminished and my walk would be diminished. And then I wonder how many other people maybe have a diminished relationship with God or a diminished walk with God because they have never considered relating to God as, as mother. And I know how healing this has been for me. I can't believe that I'd be the only one for whom that would be true. Uh, now, so, yes, I, I'll tell you, God is a perfect heavenly father, but God is also a perfect heavenly mother. And... and um, I don't, you, you refer to God as she very much in public because if, like I did just a little bit earlier, the minute you say she, now everyone's thinking about why you said she instead of whatever point you were trying to make. It just gets in the way of all the teaching. But I'll tell you this, sometimes I, in my own private space, when we're singing songs, I sometimes change the lyrics. And we're singing, you're a good, good father, that's who you are, that's who you are. And I'm singing, you're a good, good mother, that's who you are, that's who you are. Not all the time, but once in a while. And there's something about that that different. I don't know, in, in, in the relationship with God, it, it opens up something different, a different, kind of, a different kind of healing love. There's something about a mother's love. Okay, before you write me off as a fruitcake and burn me as a heretic, hear me out on this, all right? See, the Bible is written from a male perspective, and it's written from, in a very patriarchal culture where men are calling all the shots. And, and, and so it reflects a very patriarchal perspective, including that its portrait of God is, is almost all, all male. But what is amazing is that it's so patriarchal, the culture is so patriarchal, you still find, I could maybe refer to it as the feminine side of God, whatever that means to you, the feminine side of God breaking through. Like, like in Proverbs 8, it's celebrating the wisdom of God and she's personified as a female. And several times in the Bible, you have Yahweh saying things like, uh, uh, you know, how I want to gather you all under my wings, like a, like a hen does her chicks, like this mother's protective love. In fact, Jesus quotes this um, as he's writing in Jerusalem and he's talking about this destruction. He says, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets who are sent to it, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. A mother's protective love. So we're getting there. In Isaiah 42, we read this. It says, For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. And, and here Yahweh is, is portraying himself as this, herself, as this mother and going through labor because she wants to birth this people, Israel, to be her people. And it's amazing in this context that that would pop through, that that, 
the feminine side of God would, would pop through there. My favorite is Isaiah 49, where the Lord says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God has a mother's love uh, as God nurses the child. The bond that that creates goes beyond anything of any earthly mother. God will never forget the child that she nursed, the child that she had compassion on. God is a good, good heavenly father, but God is also, God is also a wonderful, wonderful, tender, healing mother. Part of what I've inherited from the, the negatives I've inherited, well, I've also inherited this, and this is incredibly uh, positive. Uh, I, you see, everyone's picture of God is going to be a little bit different. Everyone's relationship with God is going to be different. Everyone's relationship with God is It's one of a kind. You need to know that. That you let the Holy Spirit customize. Like, here's the thing should have this in common for followers of, of Jesus. They should all reflect the perfect, enemy-embracing, self-sacrificial, other-oriented love of God that's reflected on Calvary. All of our pictures of God should be anchored in the cross, and all of our pictures of God should feel too good to be true. They, they should feel too good to be true. If, if your picture of God doesn't feel too good to be true, I want to suggest to you that you're, that, that you're not shooting high enough. It should feel too good to be true because the truth is however good you imagine God, she is infinitely more beautiful than that. He is infinitely more beautiful than that. And you can say he and she because, look, at women are made as much in the image of God as, as men are. It says in, 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 in Genesis 1, he made them in the image of God. So God's not more male than God is female. And, or I should say that God is just as female as God is male, if you want to put and so we should have no problems about envisioning God in, in female ways as long as it's consistent with what we see revealed on the cross and as long as it feels too good to be true. So if you need a, a God to be your heavenly father, God is a beautiful heavenly father. But I want you to know that when you need a beautiful heavenly mother, God is your beautiful heavenly mother. And when you need a friend, God is your best friend. And when you need a brother, God is your best brother. When you need a sister, God is your best sister. When, God, when you need a healer, God is your healer. When you need a comforter, God is your comforter. When you're in sorrow, God can be your lover. God can be your all in all. And Spirit customizes that just for each one of us, the unique relationship that we have. I sometimes wonder how much we prevent by having a stereotyped God in our head. Um, when God, God, that's in some ways that that that, that, that puts restraints. It, that that's it particularizes God. Uh, I I want to encourage us, knowing what the criteria for what God looks like is revealed in Jesus Christ, to boldly let the Spirit take us where maybe you never dreamed He would take you before. In fact, that should be happening basis because the spirit knows all things and searches the mind of God. You has a creativity that's beyond anything we could ever possibly imagine. So I want to close with this. First of all, if you're here, and I'm talking to the parishioners now as well, um, and you have specifically, you have mother issues or issues related maybe to women or any of that category. I want to encourage you. I understand, I get, I feel that the pain of the gap between the mom you needed and the mom you got, I know that. 
And that gap will keep on creating resentment and bitterness even when you're not thinking about her until it's closed. And the way to get it closed is you got to let this go. The mom you got, just, but you can only do that if you let go. You do need a mother's love, just like you need a father's love and a friend's love and a brother's love. You need a mother's love to heal those wounds. Ask the Spirit to guide you. He'll lead you on this. But be willing. Don't, don't hold back where the Spirit's going to take you. If where he takes you is consistent with what we know about God in Jesus Christ. And whatever inheritance has been from the church or from your, 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 your biological family, I, I, I encourage you to ask the Spirit to activate memories that encode lies and have wounds. And then some of us need to go back and do what I just did this last week. Talk to that kid. You see, the kid is going to keep on doing what the kid's always been doing until someone shows him that he doesn't need to do it. He's still operating on the information he's got when he's six. And sometimes it's good to, you know, a lot of parts of our brain, they you know the good news. But who's going to tell the kid? Because <laughs> the kid will keep on lighting matches and in defiance, and that will keep on impacting your life. Let the Holy Spirit bring these things to memory. And I have a Holy Ghost. But jump. And the thing is, what God does in these things, pain of it, but it's beautiful. Let God show off power. Protective arms around you. But the Holy Spirit ask him to come in and receive healing. It has now come to an end. Hallelujah. Learned to not say no. I don't even know what this is. Act before you know. To heal one another. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come. And uh, have prayer. It could be related to this issue. It could be something totally unrelated. Pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here and are now a surrendered follower of Jesus, It can be the perfect, your perfect heavenly father, your brother, your sister, your healer. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more about that, come up here, talk to these folks, and they'd love to explain to you what it is to get started on walking with. Can begin to express the plentitude and the. And the multifaceted nature of your, your, your healing and, and creativity and wisdom. By stereotyping you, God, help us to discover the utterly unique relationship that you want with each and of a kind, a secret place. And help us to wherever the Spirit leads us to bring full healing, full deliverance, full restoration, full wholeness, forgiveness into our lives. In Jesus' name. People said. Amen. God bless you. Love you.